We are a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. Fall campaign 2022, mission critical. Uh, We're uh, getting close to the end. We just have a couple more weeks here to focus in our new mission statement. And uh, the mission statement is guiding us in the future. It reflects where we've been, where we're coming from as a church, and where God's taking us. And so uh, we're focused on three different steps to the mission statement. The first one is that we're a church on mission, and we recognize that God has called us to the mission of advancing the gospel, helping others discover um, who Jesus is and how to have a relationship with him. And so uh, that's the mission we're on. And it's also a mission to raise up disciple makers. Uh, We know that we're called to be disciples. If you've been around church at all, read the New Testament at all, you know that Jesus had some disciples that followed him. He taught them and trained them how to live for him. And then they in turn went off and reached uh, more people and made more disciples. And so we recognize That if we're following Jesus, the call in our lives is to become a disciple maker, someone who can help someone else come to trust in Jesus and follow him. And that begins with a willingness to share the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. Word gospel means good news. It's the message of how to have a relationship with God, how to have the relationship with God reconciled so that we can have peace with God. We can have forgiveness. We can experience his grace and his presence in our lives. And so uh, that's the gospel. And today we want to look at, um, it's our privilege, our responsibility also as followers to be willing, ready, able to share the gospel with others. And so today we want to kind of answer that question, why? Why do we share the gospel? We're going to focus in on Romans chapter 10 this morning, if you like to follow along in your Bible, you can turn there. Romans chapter 10. Here's the thing. Um, my conviction and uh, in my experience, okay, and as best I can tell from the New Testament, the reason that disciple makers, followers of Jesus who are willing to invest in others, to help someone else become a follower of Jesus, the reason that we share the gospel, the good news of forgiveness, salvation through Jesus is because we care about the people around us. As we follow Jesus, our hearts soften to the condition that people are in around us. We begin to care more for them and about them. We want to see their lives transformed and changed. We want to see them enter into a relationship with God. You know, Augustine, uh, who was a leader in the church back in the um, first few hundred years, three, four hundred years of the church, he talked about The reality that every human being has a hole inside of them and it can only be filled by God. And so a relationship with God becomes really, really important to our fulfillment as human beings to even understand who we are and why we're here. And as you listen to people, and I don't know, maybe it was because I was preparing for this message, but as I listened to people this week even, I heard an acknowledgement. There's a hole, there's something missing and I'm trying to fill it. I've heard, I heard a number of people saying that this week. And so the truth is that, that you and I, if we've made a decision to follow Jesus and we've invited him into our lives, that we now have the ability to help others come into a relationship with him too. Our hearts soften to the people around us. We care for them and about them. And we want to see them changed. And so I have a, a message I've been preaching for some time. 
And that is uh, kind of an encouragement to Christians and a challenge, if you will, to uh, change maybe the way in which we've been living. We live in a world that in some ways we feel as though we need to uh, contain our Christianity to our churches, to our homes, right? Keep it to ourselves. And I just want to tell you that was not the words of Jesus to his people. He told them not to hide or keep their uh, relationship with him to themselves, but that he had placed us here, that God has placed us here as ones who belong to God to live our relationship with God in such a way that others can see it. And so my admonition and challenge to Christians is to come out of the closet as followers of Jesus, not to hide or to keep that quiet or private or to ourselves, but simply to be who we are, the same in front of everybody. The people that we are at church, the people we are at home, that we, uh, an encouragement is to be that same, those same people out in the world when we're rubbing shoulders with people. And there may be times where someone could get offended by uh, our lifestyle, the things that we believe, the things we say. But my experience would be a lot more people are encouraged and are, uh, uh, have questions about who we are when we live our lives out in front of people. Jesus in Matthew 5 encouraged his followers at the time, nation of Israel that he was speaking to uh, in this direction. In Matthew 5, starting verse, verse 14, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You maybe remember that song if you went to church as a kid, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Yeah, I mean, that's really what God is calling us to do. And yet you may have found that if you've made attempts at times to share the gospel with somebody, to present to them the message of the scriptures, you might get mixed results. The first time I remember really uh, taking this seriously and making attempts to share the gospel, I was um, 13 years old. My, my parents had been training to become missionaries. And so my dad had been in seminary in a little town in Indiana called Winona Lake. Uh, it was a great place to grow up. Buckle of the Bible Belt. Uh, most of my teachers in school were Christians. I mean, I went to public school, but it kind of felt like Christian school, you know, and, and it was a great place to grow up. Very wholesome environment for the most part. And a lot of reinforcement around my faith and my walk with Jesus. But my parents had been trained to be missionaries, and the mission field we were headed to was Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. My mom had grown up in Utah. And uh, our relatives on that side of the family had been converted to Mormonism way back in the 1800s. They'd come across the ocean to America and had moved to Utah uh, to support that religion. And so my mom, when she was a young, uh, young girl, uh, there was a missionary that um, was there in Utah he had, was a World War II veteran, Pearl Harbor survivor, had gone to Moody Bible Institute and training, and he had been called to Utah, and so he started a church, and he was trying to reach the Mormon people with the true gospel. 
Um, and, uh, and he had worked for years and hadn't seen really any results. And my mom, at I think the age around 10 years old, uh, ended up in his church and made a decision to trust Christ. And so uh, he was, she was her, his first sort of convert, right? And uh, so she grew up learning about Jesus, and she moved to Omaha to go to Bible college, met my dad, and they decided to become missionaries in Utah. And so at 13 years old, we were going to move from Indiana to Utah, Salt Lake City. And so we moved, and uh, we found a home in this much larger city than where I had come from. And they, my parents enrolled me at Bonneville Junior High, which was a huge school, thousands of kids, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And I was an 8th grader, and I uh, got into school there, and I started to meet, meet some kids. And I met a couple guys. One of them named was Blake, and I found out they were Mormons. Now, I had set through uh, probably a hundred presentations that my dad made in churches teaching about Mormonism and, uh, and teaching where the Mormon religion uh, was different than what the Bible teaches. And so um, I had learned some things I thought were pretty important that every Mormon should know. And so uh, as I was entering school there and got to know some guys, I, uh, I had learned that Joseph Smith the founder of Mormonism, who I affectionately refer to as Joe, he had made some prophecies. He considered himself a prophet, and he had made some prophecies uh, regarding the future that did not come true. He had prophesied that, there, um, that Jesus would return in 1891. And so back in 1984, we knew that that hadn't happened. He also prophesied that all of the country of the world would be involved in the Civil War, and we knew in 1984 that hadn't come true. And we also knew, and I thought this was perhaps the most profound one, that he had prophesied or had um, postulated that there were uh, humans that inhabited the moon and um, lived much longer lifespans than we do here, about a thousand years, and they dressed like Quakers. And I said, hey, it was before I was born, but in 1969, we made it to the moon. There were pictures, and there were no people there, right? And so as we moved to Utah and I meet these guys, I said, hey, guys, um, I think there's a problem with your religion. There's an issue there. The, the founder, who claimed to be a prophet of God, um, made some prophecies that didn't come true. And back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, you guys believe the Bible, right? They said, yeah, we believe the Bible. Well, God warned the nation of Israel that if a prophet came and prophesied things that didn't come true, you were to discount them as a prophet. So I said, guys, if I could show you that, that your founder, the prophet, Joe, made some false prophecies, would you consider a different way? Would, could I explain to you the gospel as the Bible teaches? Sure, they said. Absolutely. And so I told them of these false prophecies. Well, they went home to church, talked to their bishop, and uh, asked him, I think, these questions. They returned to school. Um, and of course, I was expecting that he would confirm what I told him because it was true. I mean, my dad did his research in the Mormon library. The evidence is there. It's not hidden. Um, but they didn't come back with that response. They're actually a little bit frustrated with me, a little angry at me. And the rest of that year was kind of difficult, to be honest. And by my ninth grade year, I was kind of done uh, with the bullseye on my back, right? <laughs> Being an evangelist and reaching these Mormons. I was just trying to fit in and, and fly under the radar. I didn't do very well holding up to the uh, position. But Maybe you have experienced something like that. 
You tried to share the gospel, share Jesus, live your faith out in the open. And maybe you've been shot at, maybe you've been discouraged in that. I don't know. But you know what I found out a few years ago? Um, we had a missionary that our, uh, the, the group that I served with, church in Denver, uh, we supported a missionary in Utah. And he was also doing the same work that we had done when I was a young person trying to reach Mormons and preach the gospel. And he said, you know, he goes, it's an interesting thing in this season, this time, there's a lot of Mormon people who are coming to me. You know, he goes, I identify myself in the community. I'm Bible-believing, Bible-teaching pastor. And uh, he says, there's a lot of Mormons that come to me. They kind of maybe come at night or, you know, uh, a private conversation. But they're asking me questions about grace, you know, and about forgiveness. What does the Bible really say about what's the gospel? So he said, it could be some of those guys. Because I told him my story. He said, it could be maybe those guys that you kind of challenged and you shared with a little bit, that there's some people that kind of in that age range that are now asking questions and, and coming out of the Mormon church. You know, all I know is this, that when we decide to follow Jesus, be obedient to him, allow him to use us, even though at times we might face some discouragement and we may not see results immediately that God uses those efforts. When we live our life publicly as followers of Jesus. When we let the people know around us, not in a preachy way, not in a way that's pushy, but just in a way of um, talking around them the same way we talk when we're at church or at home. We express the things that we believe and we let people see that. That little seed or those little seeds that get planted, they do produce fruit. God will use them to grow in people's lives. And you never know how that's going to happen. All I know is that it does, right? I know that it does. Um, when we come out of the closet and let our light shine before people, when we don't hide the light that we have, but we put it on a lampstand, God begins to use us to reveal himself to others. This is absolutely the way it works. Today in Romans chapter 10, the passage we'll be looking at, verses 5 through 17, that's a famous passage of scripture that reveals to us the role that we play in the advancement of this gospel message, we first learn in this passage that when we ask why do we share the gospel, we share the gospel because salvation requires faith. Follow along as I start reading Romans chapter 10 verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down? Don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? Verse eight, in fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. In this passage are several quotes from the Old Testament the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses was unveiling the law for the people of Israel. And he said the same things that Paul, the apostle who wrote the book of Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's quoting from that Old Testament book and those writings of Moses, but he is presenting a different way. He says in the Old Testament, there was a path to God that requires following the law, following the rules, right? 
knowing what they are and living according to them. And if you did that, Moses said, there's a way to life. But now, Paul says, under Jesus, through Jesus, the son of God who came to earth, through him, salvation is accessed a different way. It's through faith. And so he goes, you don't need to say, who's gonna go up to heaven and find out how to be saved? Who's gonna go down to hell and find out how to be saved? He's like, that's not the places to look. Instead, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. If you'll listen to what God is doing, if you'll listen to who Jesus is, you'll find that salvation comes through faith in him. Simply trusting in the work that God has done. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 helps us understand what faith is and the power that faith holds. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. The reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. When you put your trust in Jesus, your faith gives evidence to the reality of what Jesus has done and who he is. Faith in Jesus is a way, in a way, excuse me, proves the truth of the scriptures. Faith is required, and all people have the capacity to put their faith in something. We see that as we live in this world. Again, people put their faith in something. They have to. It's required to get through this life. It's very interesting how that need is so strong. And so this translates into another reason that we share the gospel, and that is because anyone can be saved. I'll continue reading in Romans 10, verse 8. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They, they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. An open declaration of who God is. Jesus is Lord. The word Lord is a reference to the fact that Jesus is God. The word Lord in the New Testament is a translation of the word Yahweh, which is an Old Testament name for God that was uh, perhaps the most sacred. And so here's the crux of the gospel. The crux of salvation, as preached in the Bible, as taught in the New Testament, is the acknowledgement and the confession, if you will, that Jesus is God. Now here's where my friend Blake and some of his buddies and all of those who are part of the Mormon church, this is where it breaks down for them. And you'll find that a lot of, uh, uh, most of the religions of the world, if they have any connection to Christianity, this is always where it breaks down. Is they'll say, and Mormons say that Jesus is a God. He's the God of this planet, right? But you, at least you men, if you were to follow the teachings of the Mormon church and do everything that is said to do, you could also become a God 
of a world, just like Jesus was the God of this world. Now you can see how that flies in the face of what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible's teaching here is that Jesus isn't a God. He is the God, the only God. That matters a great deal. Because if he is able to save, which of course the Mormon Jesus is not able to save, Jesus of the Bible is able to save because he's God. The second part of it, so there's that open confession, confession with our mouth, but it's also a conviction or a belief in our hearts, an internal connection, an internal um, uh, conviction that God raised him from the dead. Uh, It's a reference, of course, to the resurrection and the central component that the resurrection is to the gospel, that Jesus is God and his death was able to pay for your sins and it's proven through the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he said he was. You know, the New Testament, there's other places where these declarations, these evidence is talked about. Philippians chapter two, um, six through 11 is a famous passage that talks about Jesus and who he is. Christological passage, evidence of who Jesus is. So we know who he is and we have that firm in our minds. It talks about how at some point, every knee will bow before Jesus. At some point, there will be an acknowledgement of who he is, that he really is God. Philippians 2 verse 11 says, And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's that word again. He's God to the glory of God the Father. At, at a point after the end of time, after Jesus has conquered all, there will be an accounting given before him. And every human being will kneel before him, not because they're forced, but because, well, they will be forced, but it's not coercion, it's his presence. No one will be able to deny who he is. But before that time comes, we have the opportunity to choose to trust in him, choose to acknowledge that he's God. 1 Corinthians 15 gives evidence of the resurrection. A lot of people, or I've heard it said in my lifetime, that to become a Christian takes a leap of faith. You just have to believe. You get to turn the brain off and just believe. But actually, the Bible gives a great deal of evidence as to, in a sense, proof of the things that you're asked to believe in. In 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible gives some profound evidence that still today is difficult for skeptics to pass over and to answer and to explain away because it's so profound. Starting in verse three, the apostle Paul again, writing to this church in Corinth, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. The evidence of those eyewitnesses, which Paul's saying, you can go talk to them. You can go verify it. We're not, I'm not trying to get in. I'm not trying to pull anything over here on you. I'm not lying to you. Uh, I'm telling you something that happened. 
those 500 witnesses that saw Jesus at the same time, I'm telling you today, the skeptics, those that would seek to disprove the reality of the Bible, that Jesus rose from the dead, get hung up on this one. It's hard to explain away. It's impossible to explain away, though some have tried. We're not asked to turn off our brains. We're asked to trust in eyewitness accounts that were verifiable at the time the Bible was written. The implication of this passage is that anyone can place their faith in Jesus. Romans 10 makes it clear, right? Anyone can believe. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it's a, it's a heartfelt belief. It's inside of our hearts. It's got to be sincere. You can follow the rules externally begrudgingly, right? You can follow the rules even if you don't want to. It helps if there's some accountability. You know, if you have a law enforcement officer behind you, you're more likely to go the speed limit. But some of you might follow the speed limit all the time, but begrudgingly. You know, there was that song back in the day, I can't drive 55, and then things changed, and now you can drive a lot faster in most places. Heartfelt, sincere connection to Jesus. A belief, right, that he rose from the dead. A confession that comes out that is in keeping with that heartfelt belief and connection of faith that is a declaration. A private faith is really not presented in the scriptures. It's a, it's a faith that comes out. It, it can't be contained. It's testified to before others. What moves a person, what can move you from life or, or from death to life, what can make you right before God, what can forgive your sins and wipe the slate clean? The Bible uses the word justified or, you know, you're illegally before God, you're made right. What is required is faith in your heart and a confession with your mouth. This is what happens to each one of us when we move into a place of relationship with God. Uh, this past Wednesday, I got a text while I was waiting to teach our Awana students, had a little bit of time with them, our children in Awana, I was going to teach them, um, actually uh, present the gospel to them. And, uh, and so I was waiting to do that, and I got a text that um, one of the gentlemen that's been a part of our church, who's been uh, in this community a long time, had passed away, and that's Ken Heller. And, uh, um, and so I, I, of course, responded, said, can I come over? Yes. And so I said, it'll just take me a few minutes, let me finish up here, and then I'll be over. And so I finished uh, up with my responsibilities here, and then I drove to the house, and, and Georgia Rose, his wife, was there, and um, his daughters, Deb and Stephanie, and then uh, one of his grandsons was there. And, uh, and I saw, as I walked in the room, on the bed where I had seen Ken before was his body. But it was obvious that Ken was not there. Right? I mean, his body was there, so I recognized him, but he wasn't there. Um, and so as the family mourned, and as we processed this transition, it was declared openly that um, Ken had transitioned, right? He was in a different place. And, and so, um, you know, as we celebrate his life, uh, a pastor, a servant of God, for many years, um, uh, tomorrow at the Nazarene Church at 2 o'clock will be his funeral. And we'll celebrate his life, and we'll celebrate what he's done, but we'll acknowledge that he is no longer in this earthly body, but he is in the presence of the Lord. Second Corinthians 5 tells us what happens to us 
When we die and leave this earth, if we have a relationship with God, if we put our trust in Jesus, this is what it says. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die, leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Especially in the mornings when we're getting out of bed. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies. So that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we're always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, Our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The plan of salvation is one that requires faith. The importance of faith is central. And the offer of salvation, the message of the gospel is that it's available to anyone. Any human being walking the earth that has breath can put their trust in Jesus. And the scriptures make that clear. It also teaches us, and especially in this passage, that once we make that decision, we put our faith in Jesus, that we are now enlisted in God's plan to reach the rest of the world. The truth is, why do we share the gospel? Well, we share the gospel because we are God's plan. Let's continue reading Romans 10 and verse 14. He goes on to say this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul asked a series of rhetorical questions here though. If that's the process of salvation, how's it gonna happen? How is this salvation going to be transmitted to the world? And he makes it clear through these questions that you and I, those of us who have decided already to follow Jesus, to put our trust in him, we are God's plan. I heard it said by a leader long ago that if you have a plan B, plan A won't work. You'll bail on it when it, or when it isn't working, you'll move too quickly. You won't work it until it works. Well, God doesn't have, as far as I can tell, a plan B. To reach the world, he has entrusted and enlisted us those of us who have put our trust in him. And he said to us, listen, you've experienced salvation. 
You've experienced forgiveness. Go and share it with the rest of the world. In this passage, he makes it clear that, um, that something that is not very common can take place. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to think of feet as beautiful. <laughs> I guess there's some weird people in the world that do think they are. But I think most people think that feet are not that attractive. We try to cover them up, right? Put them inside something so nobody sees them. They can stink. They can be... Okay, so anyway, enough about feet. But in this passage, uh, Paul says, listen, uh, you don't have beautiful feet, but your feet can be made beautiful. It can be the most beautiful feet in the world, the most beautiful thing in the world. If you will follow this plan that God has put in place where you are the one sharing the message of the gospel, then you can have beautiful feet. There's something that happens to us when we recognize that as followers of Jesus, we're not just on this earth for ourselves. We haven't just been saved so that we can experience God but we're put here to help others. We're put here to live our lives before others so they can see God in us. They can see the work that we're doing and, and attribute the good work we're doing to God. What, uh, talk about you know, accountability. <laughs> talk about knowing that there's a reason that we get up and go each day and do what we do. It's to represent him to make a difference for him. First Peter 3.15, I think, describes it very well. It says this, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Put Jesus first. Follow him. He's, he's the Lord. He's the ruler of your life. So be obedient to him. Surrender to him. Follow him. And your life begins to change. People will see a difference. They'll hear a difference in the things you say. Then he says this, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. There's some ways in which I've seen Christians and myself engage people uh, just with our life, uh, our walk with Jesus, and just a way to kind of um, live it out before others. One of those things that I've seen people do, and I've done a little bit, is, is uh, as I'm living life and encountering others, somebody's going through some difficulty, I'll just offer to pray for them. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? And uh, though there's some that might reject that or say, no, that's okay. Man, most people are very interested and very desirous of having some prayer uh, in their life and, and especially about the problems they're facing. Somebody that they think might know God, man, even more powerful. One of the things that I've, it's just a little thing, but I've noticed that uh, there's, there's some folks that I interact with that are dependent um, uh, or, or in uh, agriculture and so dependent on the weather, Right? And so we get a shower, which I know doesn't happen around here very often. Uh, but every once in a while, uh, this stuff falls out of the sky and we kind of get shocked. What is that? But, um, but anyway, um, after one of those, uh, in talking to another individual in that same, right, just, just to say, hey, God really blessed us with that rain. Wasn't that nice? Now, I've heard other people, instead of saying that, they might say, uh, Mother Nature, you know, was good to us. I have heard about Mother Nature for most of my life. I do not know who Mother Nature is, but I know who God is. And I know that God is the one who sends the rain. He's the one who created the environment we live in. That's just a small thing, but it can make a difference. It can reveal to others where you're coming from, what your faith is in. How about, um, I've noticed this, that as people are going through difficulties, they like to talk to others about it. And, and everyone is always willing to give some advice. What if you were to give some advice, right? 
sure you have people that are looking for advice, talking about different problems, but it came out of scripture. And, and you let them know that, hey, yeah, you know, um, here's what God says about marriage. Here's how marriage is supposed to work. This is what I'm trying to do in my marriage to follow that. And you know what? It's difficult. It's not easy. It's not pretty, but, but it works. How about that? How about um, with someone that's trying to raise teenagers? A lot of us know how hard that can be. Well, listen, here's what the Bible says about how we're supposed to uh, treat our children and raise them up and encourage them, love them, not discourage them. You know, here's what the Bible says, and, and this is what I'm trying to implement, and I found that to be helpful. Those kind of little things can help others recognize where we're coming from. What I have found, and can almost guarantee, is if you do that, if you live your faith out in front of people, that, um, that someone is going to say, <laughs> there's something different about you, man. You really, you really act like you believe this. You're really, you're really trying to follow God. It seems like you really know him. How, how, how did that happen? What, tell me about that. It's almost inevitable. And in that moment, I want to encourage you to have a, a gospel presentation that you know, some verses maybe that you know how to share a simple message of how to have a relationship with God. I like the Romans road. It just is a couple of verses in Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, which we looked at today. Just a real simple, clear, from the Bible, verses to look at. Um, Wednesday night, I shared with the WANA students the bridge to life. And that uses Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We also have, around here, we've used the... Um, the life in six words that comes out of Dare to Share. It's the word gospel. It's just an acronym. God, our sins, paying everyone life, but it helps you present the gospel. Forgiveness, reconciliation, relationship with God, it's available. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus yet, I want to call you to do that before you leave today. It is the reason this church exists. It's the reason the church exists on the earth is to make sure everyone has an opportunity to have that forgiveness and to experience that relationship with God. And I want you to have that. Don't leave today. Please talk to me before you leave. I want to talk to you about how to put your faith and trust in him. Um, and I want to encourage us as a church to be a people who are living our faith out in front of others and are ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. As we end the service today, we'll take communion. And you know, Jesus really was informing his disciples of the gospel when he sat down with them and had his final meal with them. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He passed it around. He said, take and eat of this. It represents my body that will be broken for you. Jesus would go to the cross and his body would be broken as a requirement to make a payment for the sins of the world. Then he took a cup of wine, he passed it around, he said, take and drink from this. This represents a new covenant in my blood. That God was initiating a new process of salvation, a new path to reconciliation. Not just an adherence to the rules, but an ability to have a relationship with God. And so he shared that with them and he said, keep doing this until I return to get you. And so we do continue to share in communion, to practice that together, remind ourselves of what God's done for us and that Jesus is going to return to get us and that we're on a mission in the meantime. We're here to make sure the people around us have an opportunity to know how to have a relationship with God. I hope you'll join me in continuing to live on that mission. Let me pray for our 
uh, communion time. God, we thank you for your goodness to us and the sacrifices that you made to bring humanity back into a relationship with you, to fix what's broken in us, to fill the hole that's in our hearts that can only be filled by you. I pray that you'd help us as we live out our lives to live out of appreciation for what you've done and to live each day with the reminder that we're here to help others find you too. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.